Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, the 1st of June. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're watching today. Bogus QAnon theories have U.S. pastors worried. Plus, the Chinese Communist Party at 100. But first, today's one big thing. Tennis's biggest star takes a stand for her mental health. Four-time Grand Slam winner Naomi Osaka abruptly dropped out of the French Open yesterday, two days into the tournament. That's after she was fined and threatened with expulsion for declining to do media interviews at the tournament, citing her mental health. If you don't love tennis as much as I do, let me share this one detail with you. Naomi Osaka is the highest-paid female athlete in the world, which is why this was such a shocker yesterday. Joining me now is Axios sports reporter Jeff Tracy. Hey, Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Nyla. Were you just as shocked about this as I was? I definitely was. Uh, when she, uh, just a, t- a couple days before her second round matchup, just decided to withdraw entirely from the tournament. This is Osaka. She's won four Grand Slams. She was probably the favorite to win this one, uh, sport's biggest star. And suddenly she is out citing the mental health issues that she has feeling uh, about public speaking. And so this was definitely a shock. I, I thought something was going to happen and this was not necessarily it. How was this handled by the tournament organizers? They put a firm stake in the ground, and it wasn't only the French Open. It was actually all of the Grand Slam tournaments sort of joining in and saying, uh, you know, this is a part of the sport. We're obviously going to fine you, which she expected to happen. Uh, But they all said that if she continued skipping these media obligations, whether continuing through the French Open uh, and the remaining Grand Slams, that they could suspend her from those tournaments going forward. So they set a pretty dangerous precedent there in terms of what might happen to anyone, but specifically the sport biggest star again if she continues to uh, skip these media obligations. How do you think this is different from last summer? I'm thinking about her pivotal role when it came to social justice in the game and her decision when she said she would honor the other sports boycotts in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And she said she wouldn't play her semifinal match. And that led to the Western and Southern Open suspending play for two days. How is this different? Yeah, that was a more universal issue, I think, whereas this is pretty personal. That's not to say that she's the only person who suffers uh, from anxiety, depression, other mental health illnesses. But this is personal, and she did this without expecting anyone else in the sport to follow suit. This was for her and her alone. So we're a month from Wimbledon starting. The U.S. Open is at the end of the summer. Is there a chance one of the most popular and highest paid stars isn't in these tournaments? I think it's definitely possible. This is a woman who, you know, she's 23 years old. She is coming off a year where she made $55 million, which is the most a woman athlete, a female athlete has ever made in a year. And as a young biracial woman, she is able to bring in so many different fans from so many different walks of life, just unbelievably popular and good for the sport. And That means that it's very bad for the sport if she's not playing. So now it's sort of, you know, a choice. 
is she going to say, you know, that I'm the sports biggest star, I have a huge voice, maybe there are other people who aren't really able to afford these fines and skipped tournaments, but I can, and, and for them and me, I need to continue doing this and taking this stance. There's a very decent chance that something happens in this next month before Wimbledon kicks off. ICO sports reporter Jeff Tracy. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you so much. We'll be back in 15 seconds with QAnon in American Churches. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Welcome back to Axios Today. The QAnon conspiracy theory hasn't gone away since the 2020 election or the January 6th insurrection. In fact, now many American pastors are saying they're worried about how many Christians in their congregation believe in QAnon. That's what they have been telling Axios co-founder Mike Allen, who is with me now. Mike, what are evangelical leaders telling you about QAnon in their churches? Well, Dr. Russell Moore, who's, as you know, is one of the best-known evangelical thinkers in America, he said that pastor after pastor from virtually every denomination is telling him that QAnon and other conspiracy theories are blowing through their congregations is the expression that he used. How many people are we talking about here? So a massive poll, 5,600 adults from the Public Religion Research Institute and the Interfaith Youth Corps. They asked about some of the basic tenets of QAnon. Uh, one of them, the government, media, financial worlds controlled by Satan, worshipers. 15% of Americans said that they agreed with that. Here's what's interesting. Huge party split. Republicans much more likely to believe it. And this is what's worrying pastors, that evangelical Christians were much more likely to believe it than people of other faiths. What to you is the biggest significance of this? This shows the danger of disinformation and misinformation. So many people believe it, and they don't believe the media. And now we're seeing they don't even believe the ministers. And then a second point that was made to me by Professor Kristen Dumay from Calvin University, uh, the alma mater of one Nyla Voodoo. Uh, she's a historian of gender, faith, and politics. She looked at these numbers and they said, if you hope that the events of January 6th are in the past, I think this data gives little in the way of assurance. How's that for academic understatement? Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Thanks, Mike. Now I have the best short week. Yesterday, the Chinese Communist Party announced it will allow married couples to have three children, another move away from its infamous one-child policy that was officially scrapped in 2016. It's meant to increase the now-aging labor pool that allowed China to grow into the second-largest economy in the world. Meanwhile, Chinese Communist Party leaders are in the middle of celebrating their 100-year anniversary with lots of propaganda about how great the party's leadership has been for China. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is Axios's China reporter and is here with a reality check on the party's messaging. Well, what we're going to hear from CCP leaders is, first of all, if we're going to go chronologically, that the Chinese Communist Party was responsible for defeating the Japanese uh, who invaded China in the 1930s. And in Chinese Communist Party propaganda, you really hear about how important the party was uh, and not 
uh, sort of not really what actually happened, which was that the Americans were very important and the, the KMT, the nationalists, were also very important. The next big thing that I want to talk about is after 1949, it's definitely true that the Chinese Communist Party led a new era of China having its own independent sort of foreign policy. What you're not going to hear anything about, though, is how the first 30 years of party policy in China devastated the economy, caused the world's largest man-made famine in which up to 30 million people perished, and resulted in massive cultural destruction and social chaos and conflict during the Cultural Revolution. Bethany Allen Ibrahimian is Axios's China reporter. I will never forget the violence of the white mob. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. We wanted to leave you today with the words of 107-year-old Viola Fletcher. She's the oldest survivor of the Tulsa massacre in 1921. And she testified before Congress a few weeks ago, along with other survivors, calling for acknowledgement and reparations. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I will not. And other survivors do not. And our descendants do not. President Biden is headed to Tulsa today to mark the 100th anniversary of the two-day massacre, which killed hundreds and destroyed almost every house and business in the wealthy Black neighborhood of Greenwood. That's it for today. You can always give us feedback by emailing us at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me directly on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.